Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. It is great to be with you on this Monday evening. We got a lot to talk about. A crazy week five in the NFL. We are a full month into the season. Going to talk about, obviously, lead off the show. The Dallas Cowboys now 4-1. and Big win in Los Angeles over the Rams. I'm not going to call it a row win because that was, that was a home game. That might as well have been Jerry World West as I heard one call it, uh, uh, in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium over the Rams. I'll lead the show with that. Also talk about, man, do I feel vindicated about the Green Bay Packers. I am feeling really good, even more confident today than I was, heck, even last week that the Packers will miss the playoffs. I will get into the very specific reason, one individual especially, that I want to talk about with that, with the Packers you know, losing yesterday to the New York Giants, 27-22. Uh, to 22. I'll talk about that. Matt Rule got fired by the Carolina Panthers. I'll discuss that. No surprise there. Uh, I, th- I think if we had to guess who would be the first coach to go this season of the guys that are on the hot seat, he was on it. Uh, also, Lamar leads the Ravens to a comeback win over the Cincinnati Bengals. They finally did not blow a double-digit home uh, 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 lead. They got to win over their division rival Bengals over Joe Burrow, who had a, a solid night. Uh, also talk about that. MLB postseason, wild card round done. I went two and two of my picks. I got my both American League picks right. National League, 0 for 2. Hopefully I can go 4-0 and uh, on the division series, which I had a pretty rough outing last year. I went 1-3, and three, so ho- hoping to – I guess he can't go anywhere but up uh, in that regard. And at the end of the show, I will predict Raiders-Chiefs Monday Night Football to close out Week 5 in the NFL. But first, listen, there, there's a lot of people who, who have a question, especially for me, after what I said about this team all offseason, and I think that question is pretty obvious. The question is, how about them Cowboys? Yeah! I got to eat crow today. I got to. The Dallas Cowboys are 4-1 now, folks. Second best record in the National Football League. They happen to be second in their division to the 5-0 Philadelphia Eagles. But a statement win over the Los Angeles Rams yesterday. They won the game 22-10. to And here's what I want to say. I want to start with the defense. If it weren't for the San Francisco 49ers putting up numbers similar to that of the 2000 Baltimore Ravens, the Dallas Cowboys would have the best defense in the NFL. I would take them today over Tampa. I would take them today over Buffalo. 
You stack Niners aside, you put any defense in the National Football League up against the Dallas Cowboys, I will take Dallas over anybody. It's like Niners out, I take Dallas over the field in terms of defense. Micah Parsons was dealing with a groin injury. We saw him coming out of the locker room at halftime. He was limping a little bit. You know, didn't, you know, looks like he was in some pain. Couldn't tell in the second half. Two sacks, which I predicted on the Cowboys camp fan pregame show. Shout out to those guys. Crack them if you got them. But I predicted that Micah Parsons had two sacks and he had that game ending strip sack to really, you know, you know, put the put put, put the bow on, on a big win for Dallas. Demarcus Lawrence played well. He had the strip uh, uh sack from Dorrance Armstrong. He recovered it for the touchdown. Dorrance Armstrong also blocked a punt. And so when you're talking about Dallas, and I've said this for the last couple of weeks, they have a way to win. And it's very it's been very effective, right? Score early. Put the pressure on, on the opposition's offense. Get stops defensively. Let Trayvon Diggs do his thing. Let guys like uh, Micah and, and Demarcus Lawrence, Dorrance Armstrong, Odigi Zua had a sack yesterday. Let those guys go after the quarterback and make things tough on him. Because to me, that is the mark of a great defense. Dallas likes to play man. We know Dan Quinn, defensive coordinator, what a job that he has done in two years in Dallas. Dallas is a heavy man team. But the mark of a great defense, a truly great defense, when they can get pressure without blitzing. If they can just send four and get pressure on the quarterback. Now, some of that has to do with the fact that the Rams are dealing with all kinds of injuries and all kinds of you know lack of continuity on their offensive line. Some of it has to do with that. But they forced Matt, uh, Matt Stafford to make some poor decisions, especially late in the fourth quarter, the interception to Malik Hooker. Okay, and again, I mentioned the strip sack late. Uh, Micah Parsons making that play. And so, again, Matt Stafford is a guy, we know, you, you, you can force him to make mistakes, okay? As I, I say, sometimes in gist, but sometimes in being serious today, I'm kind of being serious when I say that. You can take the quarterback out of, Detroit, out of Detroit, but you can't take the Detroit out of the quarterback. You know, some of that applied yesterday. And so, that Dallas Cowboys defense, defense folks, is special. It's special. There's no, no other way around it. They look unbelievable. But here's kind of what I want to get at offensively because people talk about, okay, the Cowboys are sitting there at 4-1. and one. Okay, they, they've done something in the first five weeks of the season that has not been done since 2016. You want to know what that is? Beat the two teams that participated in the previous season's Super Bowl. The Cowboys beat the Bengals in week two to start this winning streak. And their most recent win, as a matter of fact, in the stadium where the Super Bowl was played, against the team that won the Super Bowl, the Los Angeles Rams. It hasn't been done since the Atlanta Falcons did it in 2016. And what do we know about those Falcons? They got to the Super Bowl. We know what happened in that Super Bowl, but they still got there. Ironically, with Dan Quinn as their head coach. But here's what I kind of want to circle around. Are the Cowboys contenders? Well, they're bordering on it. In an NFC that I said coming into the season, I didn't trust. I thought the Rams would be great. They're not. I said Tampa Bay would get to the NFC Championship game, and while I'm not putting that out of the picture because we're talking about Tom Brady, have they had a very impressive performance yet? Again, I have yet to see Tampa Bay put together a complete game. I'll talk a little bit about the Bucs later in the show. The Packers don't look great. The Vikings are in close games with the Chicago Bears. Like, Philadelphia is really the only team that hasn't had a bad game, and they're 5-0. and But here's, here's what I think is holding back the Dallas Cowboys from being contenders. I still don't trust the receiving unit. I don't. I trust 
I trust Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, the job that they have done running the football. Again, we saw Tony Pollard had that long touchdown uh, to put Dallas back on top after the Cooper Cup touchdown. Again, Trayvon Diggs, my man. I'm starting to buy back into Trayvon Diggs, but he he turned back into the he turned back into Kenny Rogers. He turned back into the gambler. Okay, he, he tried to play it inside. Cooper Cup beat him, went the distance. Outside of that, Trayvon Diggs played a good game. But Dallas yesterday. Rushed for 163 yards. Pollard averaged 11 yards a carry. Zeke averaged only three and a half, but he was kind of that bell cow back. You know, typical Zeke stat line, 22 carries for 78 yards. We know he doesn't have the burst Tony Pollard does. We know Dallas can run the football, and I got to be honest with you. To me, the biggest shock of the Dallas Cowboys four-game winning streak, to me, their offensive line. Tyron Smith, gone. Lyle Collins, lost him in free agency. Okay, you've got a rookie, Tyler Smith, starting at left tackle. Jason Peters didn't play. Now, he's been playing limited snaps, but he was out for the whole game due to injury. Tyler Biotis, I think, is a limited center. Zach Martin is still great, but he, you know, we know he's been dealing with some injuries. His skills are receding a little bit as he gets up there in age. That Dallas offensive line has been excellent. Against, by the way, some pretty good pass rushes. Uh, Cincinnati, Giants. Washington still has an okay pass rush, and we know the Rams definitely got a good pass rush because Aaron Donald, who had a good game yesterday. I still don't trust the receiving unit. CeeDee Lamb dropped another wide-open pass yesterday, folks. He, he's uh, I, I, I didn't know that he was Kyrie Irving. I didn't know he was an anti-vaxxer. He didn't get vaccinated against the drops. He still won't get vaccinated against the drops. Now, Gallup also had a drop yesterday, but that's we don't expect that from him as much as we do CeeDee Lamb. But, again, we talk about the sort of the, quote, I'm going to say this in quotes, quarterback controversy. Cooper Rush, Dak Prescott. Uh, first of all, Cooper Rush yesterday, 10 for 16, a buck 02, no touchdowns, uh, no picks. He had a QBR 0 to 100, a QBR of, uh, of 16. So this was a class participation grade for Cooper Rush. I thought this would be the game where he, get, he got exposed a little bit. I picked the Rams to win a low-scoring game, 19-16. He wasn't in position to do that, right? The Cowboys didn't put him in position to be quote-unquote exposed by the Rams' defense. But I still maintain, if the Dallas Cowboys want to be a Super Bowl contender, if they want a legitimate chance of getting to Arizona, which is where the Super Bowl is going to be this year, they've got to upgrade their receiving unit. And I have a solution. You know, we, we talk about there's a lot of problems in this world, but what's the solution? Do we have a solution to those problems? Well, I got a solution to the Cowboys wide receiver problem. Go pursue aggressively. Do something that the Cowboys have not done in quite some time. Pursue a big-time free agent. Odell Beckham Jr. is not in the team yet, folks. And we know he's listed teams like he wants to play for the Bills, uh, he, you know, possibly coming back to the Rams. Rams could sure use him right now because Matt Stafford, once again, turning into that one-read quarterback, just going to Cooper Cup the whole time. Or Skoranek or Allen Robinson, who once again did nothing yesterday. It's talked about possibly, you know, there's been rumblings about him going back to the Giants. I doubt that happens, but yeah, you never know. If I'm Dallas, I'm saying I'm going hard after him because you, you tell me. In a big game, because Dallas looks like, as long as they don't screw anything up, looks like they're going to be a playoff team. NFC East winner? Don't know, because they're in the same division as right now the best team, the NFC, the Philadelphia Eagles. They got a big game against Philadelphia next week. That'll be very fun to watch. But Dallas looks like they're going to get into the playoffs. 
given the start they've gotten off to. But in a big game, in a in a third and seven, okay, you're down four points to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers dr- trying to drive your midfield. You got a third down and seven. You want CeeDee Lamb or you want Odell? Because I've seen Odell make those big catches in big playoff games. Saw him do it last year numerous times for the LA Rams. I haven't seen CeeDee Lamb do that. He had, what, one catch in the playoff game last year to against the Niners? CeeDee Lamb, I've been, I've been beating this table all offseason. He is a two. He is a number two wide receiver. If that's your best guy, you don't have a very good receiving unit. I'm just being totally honest with you right now. Michael Gallup coming back helps. He's that deep threat, that big, uh, you know, red zone target. Okay, Noah Brown has played well, but it's not enough. Okay, because we, we know Mike Tyson. What's the old Mike Tyson quote? Everybody got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. There's going to be a team in the future, whether it comes in the regular season, whether it comes in the postseason, that's going to take Dallas out of what they're comfortable doing, whether that be running the football and whether that be, say, it, you get a, a high-flying offense that you know maybe shreds the Cowboys' defense. We haven't seen it thus far, not even close. But even the great defenses have bad performances. It happens. Everybody does. It's, it's bound to happen. So what are you going to counter with that offensively? We know Dak is better than Cooper Rush. It's not even close. So, I mean, Cooper Rush, for those of you that want Cooper Rush start over Dak, so you want a guy who is 23rd in completion percentage, 26th in yards per game, and ranks 21st in the NFL in 20-plus yard completions. That, that's the guy you want starting over Dak. But I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave that be. Go get Odell. And also, because I'm going to talk about this team a little later in the show, go trade for DJ, DJ Moore. DJ, I, I liked DJ Moore coming out of college, but going to Carolina, I mean, who's he at at quarterback? An old, washed Cam Newton, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, Kyle Allen, Baker Mayfield. I mean, come on now. I mean, Dak's head and shoulders above these guys. So you add DJ Moore, so you can use him as some of a somewhat of a, a gadget guy, right? Trade a second-round pick for DJ Moore. Okay, so you got you got Odell's your one, Lamb is your two, DJ Moore is your three. It's pretty good. Michael Gallup as well. And here's something else too with Gallup. He's had some injuries. So if Michael Gallup goes down, no harm, no foul. Remember the Cowboys last year? Who'd they have when Michael Gallup went down? They had Cedric Wilson. They had a backup plan. Now the backup plan is uh, Semi Fahoko, James Washington, if and when he comes back. Like, I- I'm going to trust DJ Moore. I'm, I'm sorry, not... Uh, yeah, DJ Moore a lot more than those guys. That's my solution to the problem for the Cowboys. The only thing that I think is holding them back from contention. Do I trust Mike McCarthy? Not really. Not really. I trust Dan Quinn, the job he's doing with the defense. But is this one of the three or four best teams in the NFC? Absolutely. I think it's safe to say that today. To me, it goes Eagles, Niners, and then you're kind of in a tug of war between Dallas and Minnesota. That's, that's what it feels like. I think Dallas is better than Tampa today. They're definitely better than Green Bay today. Saints, I know they got a win yesterday against Seattle, but they, they're kind of one-dimensional. Their defense hasn't been as good as we thought. So this is a top-four team in the NFC right now. And so because of that, they feel like a, a, a Super Bowl contender if they upgrade the receiving unit. And, of course, if Dak Prescott comes back. Because if he doesn't, no, this is not a Super Bowl contender. Let us look at the comments here. <laughs> uh, John just says, my boy on cloud nine, LOL, Cowboys in Tennessee win. Listen, I, I've always, I've made it abundantly clear. 
made it abundantly clear. Clear, Stephen A. Smith would say. That, that I am a I am a weird, I am an off-and-on Cowboys fan. I'm more of a Dak fan than Cowboys fan. I support the Cowboys because Dak plays for them. Because um, I was a Dak fan before he was on the Cowboys, just for the record. But yes, my Vols did win on Saturday against LSU convincingly. And we are now the sixth-ranked team in the country. And we are going to be Alabama on Saturday. You can put that in the books. And there you go, Barry. There you go. He said OBJ. That's what I'm saying. Will OBJ want to come to Dallas? I know Victor Cruz, his former teammate, suggested the other day, like, hey, listen, it's America's team. It's a big stage. Hey, maybe. Why not? OBJ, here's my only concern for OBJ, health. Has that a, because Jay Glazer was talking yesterday on the Fox uh, NFL pregame show. He was talking about Odell should be good to go around November. So if you know, early to mid-November hits, if that ACL is fully recovered, <laughs> Go for it. If you, if Jerry Jones, because Jerry's on cloud nine, he's doing all these press conferences, talk about, uh, you know, jewelries. He said jewelries comes with wins like this. Okay. If you think this team can compete, if you really think this team can compete, go get OBJ or at least pursue him. At least make an active effort to go get him. Unlike how you how you tried to to lowball Von Miller trying to get him on some cheat deal and Buffalo said hey we're we're gonna give him the money that he's he's worth he's like okay I'm going to Buffalo and you see what Von Miller's done there um let's <laughs> I somehow Grady I knew you were gonna put this in the comments he said he said Antonio Brown is, is around Bud he's a Dallas Cowboy golly man that dude's got bigger things to worry about than uh than football let's let's put it that way he's man he's he's a bum he's a bum uh on a serious note go try and trade for dj Moore. there you go that's that's what i was talking about is and i think with with dj Moore, he's he's been using a little bit of a gadget guy with the panthers but we know he's a solid route runner dude is fast and that's that's a little bit the cowboys lack that a little bit offensively outside of tony pollard tony pollard's got wheels CD Lamb can move. He's he's not, you know, he's not a burner. Michael Gallup is more of a a uh, you know, we saw he made that great catch on the sideline, you know, as Nate Burleson would say, the toe drag swag play. He's a good deep ball receiver, but he's not what you would call necessarily a burner. DJ Moore is. Like he would bring that to the offense. He would bring that even more so than Odell would. So yeah, I, I think that would be uh I, I think that'd be huge. And he said we might be about to have a fire sale pretty darn soon. I, I think so. And I'm gonna talk about Matt Rule later in the show. And Grady says to be, wait, let me put this up. There we go. Uh, just to be clear, I'm a Pats fan 1A, then Panthers fan 1B because I'm from Charlotte. Hey, I respect that. I respect that. I, I know plenty of people who have their favorite NFL team and then their team from, from their local area. I, listen, I respect that. I respect that. I, I don't get the people, though, who have like a West Coast team and an East Coast team. Like, like if that was the case, I'd be, like, I'd be a Red Sox and a Dodgers fan because I've always respected the Dodgers. NBA, so okay, so West Coast team is the Warriors. Who who'd my East Coast team be? Okay, okay, I've always I've always liked the Miami Heat. I've always respected Miami, so I could maybe I could do Miami. NFL, so let's see. If I were a Cowboys fan, they're in the middle of the country. So do we consider that West or East Coast? Like like what would I do there? I I don't know. And then if it was college football, looks like the West Coast is back in college football. I don't know USC, maybe UCLA. I'm not sure. Maybe I ought to do a segment on that in the show sometime soon. But hey, listen, we know the Cowboys fans are happy. They should be. This is a team that I feel like is a couple of receivers away from being a Super Bowl contender because if teams take you out of running the football in the games that you will have to win uh, uh, in a shootout, what do you have? 
because I've been I've been very vocal on this show. I do not trust CeeDee Lamb. I don't. Gallup, sure. You know, but he, he feels more like a three than a two. Noah Brown is good. He's got a really good rapport with Cooper Rush. Um Dalton Schultz, I, I don't I don't fear Dalton Schultz as a tight end, although he did get hurt yesterday. Uh the Cowboys tight end, of course, pretty pretty bare, but they've done a good job blocking. So if, if they can make up for what they lack in, in in pass catching and route running ability in their blocking, I'm cool with that because the Cowboys are a run first team. I just think they need to uh, to add a little bit more depth at the wide receiver position. All right, moving on to a team. So I admitted I was wrong on a team, the Dallas Cowboys, because I said when my man Dak went down, I said, this team is dead. This team's not going anywhere. The season's over. It uh, feels like a little bit of a re- overreaction after week one, to say the very least. So this, and this is why I love doing carving it up, because from one segment, I can admit I was dead freaking wrong. And then the next segment, I can gloat a little bit because I told y'all so about something else. So the Green Bay Packers lost to the uh, New York Giants yesterday, 27-22 in London. They led by a couple of touchdowns, ended up losing the game. Uh, what I thought was, was really interesting about this game, and I said coming into this one, this is the battle of the three and one frauds. Okay, Giants fans, you have every reason to be excited today. You've got your coach. I love the Brian Dable hiring from the beginning. I, I didn't like how they lowballed Brian Flores. I hated that. But with that said, I thought Brian Dable was excellent in, in Buffalo as the offensive coordinator there. Really helped Josh Allen's development to a certain degree. And I thought he would do a good job in New York with the Giants. Didn't think he'd be this good this quick, especially with Daniel Jones at quarterback, but that offensive line, but he has. And the Giants are sitting at 4-1. That said, New York, with all due respect, you are not a Super Bowl contender. You're not. You cannot win a Super Bowl with Daniel Jones at quarterback. Unless your defense was as good as the Cowboys defense or the Niners or the or the Eagles, no. You, you're not on that level yet. But the, this this feels like it could be a playoff team, so we'll see where their season progresses from here. But for Green Bay, okay, you've got the edge, obviously you have the edge at quarterback. That goes without saying. You obviously have the edge at offensive line. You, as great as Saquon Barkley is, he's he's obviously the better of the three running backs if you compare him to the likes of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. But if you're talking about a, a an all-around running game, I think we take the Packers in part because of that running back tandem and their offensive line. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And defensively, it's kind of, it feels like it's kind of on equal footing. And so games like that often get decided by coaching. And I've been saying this about the Packers all season long. Um, we know that they're limited at wide receiver. I mean, that they lost Devontae Adams. And by the way, they also lost Marquez Valdez Scantling, who's doing good things in Kansas City now. He'll be playing tonight. And so if you're the Packers, as a well-coached team would do, and this is why I'm giving Mike McCarthy some credit for what's going on in Dallas. To Mike McCarthy's credit, he is leaning into what the Cowboys do well. Defense running the ball. That's what they're doing. Matt LaFleur is not. I get you got Aaron Rodgers. You got a first bout Hall of Fame quarterback, four-time MVP, Super Bowl champion. 
It's defense and it's running the football. And here's what I think is interesting. To me, this is always the mark of a great coach. What are you to start the game? What's your opening game plan? And coming out the half, how do you adjust? That is what has made the careers of Belichick, of Andy Reid, of Mike Tomlin, of Sean McVay, Sean Payton. This is what has made the careers of those coaches. And this is why I say when, when, when they, it, it makes me sick. Any Packer game I watch, and they put up Matt LaFleur's winning percentage to guys like Lombardi and John Madden, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. If you're putting that up, you're not watching the games. Because when it comes to in-game decisions, when it comes to adjustments, I've been saying this since he was hired in 2019. Matt LaFleur is a below-average coach. I don't think he's bad. I don't think he's Nathaniel Hackett bad. But... He's a below-average head coach. You know, I know that. The Green Bay Packers, okay, they play five games this season. They have scored a grand total of 20 second-half points. That is the fourth worst in the NFL. With Aaron Rodgers, with that running game. By the way, how about this? Aaron Jones leads the NFL in yards per carry. A.J. Dillon. Averaged five yards a carry yesterday. And that's around what Aaron Jones averages. So you have two, not one, two guys who basically average a first down every two touches. And the second half, you don't get them the ball. Your only points in the second half came because the Giants literally handed you the points on the safety at the end because they were just trying to bleed some clock out. That's it. So... When you're talking about a team, and you think about against the Vikings, seven points against the Vikings in the second half. Against the Bears. The Bears. Three points. At home, at Lambeau. Sunday Night Football against the Bears. You had three points in the second half. Against the Buccaneers. Okay, you're going against a team that is decimated at the wide receiver position. They had a couple turnovers. Tampa did. You went... You went goose egg in the second half. Did not score a point. Actually did not score after midway through the second quarter. Last week against the New England Patriots, you're in a dogfight with Bailey Zappi. With all, hey, listen, Bailey Zappi looked good yesterday. We might have a quarterback controversy in New England. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. Bailey Zappi, though, appears in his first NFL game. He's a raw fourth-round rookie. You're at home at Lambeau Field, and it takes a Mason Crosby walk-off field goal to beat them, to beat a, an average New England Patriots team. And then yesterday, double-digit lead on Daniel Jones. And when it was all said and done, when the final whistle was blown, it was Daniel Jones who had a better QBR than Aaron Rodgers and a better passer rating. We know Aaron's the king of passer rating, highest passer rating in NFL history. Daniel Jones beat him in that category. So Aaron Rodgers deserves blame. And we saw, you know, I, I saw after the game, he was talking about he didn't like something Jair Alexander, the Packers star corner, said. He was talking about uh, Jair Alexander said something along the lines of, you know, I'm not concerned about our defense unless we win that next week. And Aaron Rodgers was like, man, we can't be talking like that. I have yet to see Aaron take one ounce of accountability, but that's nothing new. That's, that, that's not shocking to me or any of you. But what we have to at some point wrap our arms around is that when the moment gets tight, when you need the head coach to make that call at that point in that game, Matt LaFleur's not that guy. He's not. He, he never has been. 
Never forget, he got hired by the Green Bay Packers. He was an offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. Offensive coordinator. You know where the Titans offense ranked that season? 30th. So when we put him in that category of the whizzes, like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, huh? <laughs> He's not even those, those guys' ballpark. He's He, along with Aaron Rodgers, has lost back-to-back -back games at home at Lambeau Field as a favorite. Numerous times, over and over, in the biggest of moments, he has struggled to make in-game decisions. He has struggled mightily to adjust. So when people act like the Packers are a Super Bowl contender, when they act like the Packers going to win the NFC North, I laugh. Because we know the greatness of Aaron Rodgers, although Aaron hasn't played all that well this season, when we understand the, the uh, uh, limitations they have at wide receiver, when we understand the fact that their defense has not been what I thought it would be this season, they're not beating Minnesota. Minnesota has a better coach, Kevin O'Connell. Obviously, they don't have a better quarterback, Kirk Cousins, but you see Justin Jefferson yesterday? He looked pretty good, didn't he? Running game, it's, it's equal footing. You could argue the Packers have a better running game than the Vikings do. Here, you know what the problem is? <laughs> Matt LaFleur doesn't get in the ball. Up double digits. That's the time when you need to be bleeding clock. You're facing Daniel Jones. You're not facing Patrick Mahomes. This is a situation where you got to be really aggressive and, and trying to make plays and, and get into a shootout. You're playing Daniel Jones. Okay, Saquon Barkley only had 74 yards yesterday, which is pretty good for most running backs. For Saquon Barkley, who's leading the league in, in yards from scrimmage, that's pretty good. You, you would, I think you would take that if you're the Green Bay Packers. But this is a poorly coached football team. They struggle with adjustments. They struggle in late-game situations, as you saw yesterday. And they're struggling defensively. So this is why I said, when I, I picked the Packers to win, but only by one, just because simply Aaron Rodgers is obviously a significantly better quarterback than Daniel Jones is. But when the Vegas Lions said Packers minus eight, I'm like, they got to be out of their minds. What, what have you seen from the Packers this season that has made you say, oh yeah, they're an eight-point favorite over a three-and-one team on a neutral site? Like that's, I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe I'm missing something. <laughs> maybe I'm really missing stuff with, with the Green Bay Packers. But even in a weak NFC that we know is not as good as the AFC, AFC is just loaded with contenders. NFC's not. You're telling me they could beat Philly in a playoff game? You're telling me they could beat Dallas? The night they darn well, they can't beat the Niners. We've seen them lose twice to the Niners. You're telling me they could beat Minnesota. I just saw what Minnesota did in week, in week one. Smoked them. 23-7. Okay, defense shot uh, Green Bay down. Heck, I'm not even sure they could beat the Rams today. The Rams got all kinds of issues. So, yeah, this the, I'm, I, I didn't buy into the Packers this offseason. This is one of those games you have got to win. Okay, neutral site. By the way, that sounded like a that sounded like Lambeau Field. There was a lot of Packers fans in London yesterday. I didn't know they had that big of a following over there. But, you, you, so you sort of have a home field advantage in, in a weird way. Okay, you've obviously got the quarterback advantage, offensive line advantage, defense equal footing, and I think you've got the running game advantage. But the Giants, unlike the Packers, were almost flawless situationally. Packers were not. And that's what decided it. Let's see. That, you know what? I, I, I like that, Grady. 
that that's that that's that's interesting. He says Daniel Jones is weird. He's like Mariota meets Goff at his peak meets Michael Vick. That is an interesting because you know, like you know, you look at you look at Daniel Jones and he's kind of tall. He's built very similar to Eli Manning, right? Because you know, a lot of people talk about Daniel Jones drafted like he even in the face kind of looks like Eli a little bit. But unlike Eli, Duke could move. And you know, everybody I've always talked about the show. Everybody clowned Daniel Jones when he 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 tripped and fell in that game against the Eagles when he was going to score easily and he tripped tripped and fell instead of scoring a touchdown. And I said, just the fact that he was able to get down there is pretty darn impressive. Like most quarterbacks couldn't do that. But uh, yeah, Mariota, I like the Mariota comparison. Yeah, I mean, I feel, it feels like feels like they were kind of in that same ballpark. And and Jared Goff did, did not play well yesterday whatsoever. And Grady says he's just a strange player. He, he, he is a strange player. You, you don't really know what you're getting from, from game to game. He said, can be a good starting quarterback slash productive one in the right system, but nothing more in my opinion. I mean, again, you've, you've got, you've, he, there's clear limitations there. Um, there's, he doesn't have a great arm. Accuracy is, is all over the place at times. I mean, he made some throws yesterday. I'm like, what the heck are you doing? And then he made some throws like, man, that was, that was a good job fitting it in there to guys like, uh, not Sterling Shepard. Who's that? Uh, 86 Slater, uh, made some good throws to Slater. Uh, but no, I, I think I I've said for about a year, he feels like a backup to me, but it, it, like you said, if he's in the right system, which looks like Dable has, yeah, man, I mean, listen, he can win some games for you. If again, if he's in the right system, and the Grady also says, "I'm a believer in the potential of Bailey Zappy," and he's got the little, the little, uh, uh, the lightning emoji, Zappy, Zap. You, you get it. He says, "I really want to see what he's got. Solid college career and put up numbers last year." By the way, him and Mac Jones look like brothers. They, you know, it's funny. I saw a meme the other day that said Bailey Zappy looks like he could play Mac Jones in a movie. <laughs> he kind of does. They like they 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 bear a lot of uh, uh, facial resemblance. So. Minos Bailey Zappi's playing well. He did a decent job against the Packers last week, and then put on a, a, a nice, nice show against against the Lions. If I'm not mistaken, I think the Detroit. I think they uh, did they shut him out. Yeah, they did. Twenty nine nothing. So there you go. Now, albeit Detroit has the worst scoring defense in the NFL, but hey, listen, I got credit where credit's due. Bailey Zappi looks pretty good. If not, if nothing else, and see there, there goes Barry. There, there he goes. I'm out of here now. The Max slander must end. LOL. Listen, you get on me about my support for Dak. And you're out here supporting Mac Jones, who, you know, his backup is putting up numbers comparable to him. Come on, come on now. Well, let's let's come on now. But hey, he's looking good. I mean, I, I can't I can't hate. He's looking good. I think for sure he's he is he supplanted Brian Hoyer as the backup. If nothing else, Bailey Zappi is your backup quarterback. If God forbid Mac, Mac Jones gets hurt again, now could he replace Mac Jones? You know, who knows? I don't know where Mac Jones' health is right now. Again, that ankle injury did. That did not look good against the Baltimore Ravens. Mac was in some serious, serious pain. So we'll see when he can come back soon. Maybe in the next two, three weeks. I doubt he plays this week. Uh, who do the Patriots play a week from now? New England. Hold on, pulling it up. New England goes to Cleveland to play the Browns. Okay. Well, listen, they can win that game. That that'll be that'll be one that'll be controlled uh, in the trenches. Again, least sexy term in football, obviously, but that's kind of what it's been this year. A lot, a lot of teams run the football very well. <laughs> Grady says my, Matt Patricia might be a real OC after all. Just kidding. No, Matt, Matt I'm still not bought into Matt Patricia as, Patricia as an offensive coordinator. I, I, I just can't do it. I can't do it. But moving on now to a quarterback that, man, he's in that group. Like, there's those few quarterbacks. It used to be four. Now it's down to three. I'm, I'm done defending Russell Wilson. I said on Friday, I, I, I've, I've, I'm, at, I'm out. Yeah, I'm done with Russell Wilson. 
Okay, he's disappointed me too many times this season on and off the field. I'm out on Russell Wilson. So it's now down to three quarterbacks who I defend like crazy. Dak Prescott, crap, I wear his hat 85% of my shows. Derek Carr, I love Derek Carr. I think he's, I think he's in a tough position tonight, but I love Derek Carr and Lamar Jackson. Now, the difference is Dak's gotten paid, Carr's gotten paid, Lamar has not. And we know about the contract issues. Not going to talk too much about that today because talking about other people's money makes my head hurt. But Lamar Jackson yesterday uh, led the Ravens to a big, big division win over the Cincinnati Bengals. Big, similar to like the the Bills last week, whose win ironically came against the Ravens. We know the Bills hadn't won a one-score game since 2020. Like they went over last year, including that, of course, that heartbreaking loss to the Chiefs in the playoffs. And so... Coming into Baltimore, yeah, coming into Baltimore, coming back to beat the Ravens, winning a one-score game, I think it was huge for the Bills' morale. And obviously, Buffalo looked unbelievable yesterday. Uh, they 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 covered that fourteen-point spread and then some. I didn't think they would, but yeah, they, they they did. But as far as Baltimore is concerned, as far as the Ravens are concerned, first of all, really really solid night by their secondary. But Marcus Peters played well. Uh, they got obviously no shocker. They 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 got a lot of pressure on Joe Burrow. That offensive line is back to being bad. They had a couple decent weeks, okay, against the Jets and then against the Dolphins. They're they're back to being that same that same joking offensive line that I have been pulling my hair out over ever since Joe Burrow got drafted. As a matter of fact, it's the very reason I thought Joe Burrow would not succeed in the NFL was because that offensive line is so bad. But Lamar Jackson is. In terms of how some in the media and some fans look at him, he is suffering from the same scope, the same syndrome that Dak Prescott has suffered from for years. That's why I defend both. Because when Lamar Jackson wins games like last night, because we saw Lamar miss some wide-open deep balls down the field. He's got to hit those receivers. He missed Duvernay one time, and I don't know if it's Duvernay or somebody else the other time down the right sideline. He's got to make those throws. Not, I'm not here to defend him in that regard. But he did get the ball back down a point against a very good Cincinnati Bengals defense who'd done a great job in him all night and drove him right down the field. And the greatest kicker of all time, yes, I said it, Justin Tucker did what Justin Tucker always does, hit the game-winning field goal. But when Lamar Jackson wins, well, it's the system. He's a one-dimensional quarterback. He can't make those throws. Oh, that's okay. And then when Lamar Jackson plays darn near flawlessly, week two against the Miami Dolphins, remember Tua threw six touchdowns in that game? Yeah, Lamar actually outplayed him. Had a better QBR and passer rating than Tua Tungamailoa. Yeah, he lost. He can't win the big games. Da, da, da. It's, he can't win. He, I mean, he can win, obviously, games. But I'm talking about in in some in the some of the public li- public eye, he can't win because in one regard, you're criticizing him for winning an ugly game, and then on the other hand, when he barely by the skin of his teeth because of his defense, by the way, loses a shootout game, and he crushed him there because he lost. Like, which is it? Just just tell me what your criticism of Lamar Jackson is. Listen, he's not the perfect passer. He is never, ever going to be Mahomes, Allen. He's never going to be those guys. So if that's your expectation, that's on you. It's not on Lamar. That's on you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? 
Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But then when you say he can't pass, <laughs> Lamar Jackson, as a matter of fact, leads the NFL. I saw this stat today. It says a lot. Lamar Jackson leads the NFL in touchdown passes from the pocket with 10. So just because he has a shaky night throwing the football, just because he did miss those deep balls, and I, listen, like I said, I'm not here to defend him there. He did not play the perfect game. He got outplayed by Joe Burrow yesterday. But you're telling me that in that situation, ugly as the game may be, Lamar's got the ball down one. That's what Lamar does. Boop, 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 boop. Justin Tucker wins it with a field goal. That's what he does. He's got the clutch gene. He plays very well from behind. He is, I mean, last night's the, the, an aberration, right? He is typically a very good passer from the pocket. And obviously everybody knows about his ability to run the football. So when people say, and you say, uh, well, what about Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Jimmy Garoppolo missed those throws against Denver and had the self-safety and you were out here crushing him. Because Jimmy G and Lamar Jackson's winning percentage is very, very similar. It's like around that 70% area. Here's the difference. Baltimore wins because of Lamar Jackson. Don't believe me? Look at last year. What was their record without Lamar? You say, what's their record without Jimmy G? Well, I don't know. They had a young Trey Lance. They had Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard. This, is, this, this isn't exactly, uh, you know, this isn't Steve Young and Joe Montana backing him up. You know what I'm saying? Backing up Jimmy Garoppolo. Where is Jimmy... You see how he wins in the playoffs all the time? He's got four and two record in the playoffs. Yeah, look at his numbers in those wins. It's about running the football and playing defense. Whereas Baltimore, it's Lamar, take us there. And three out of five times he has. Should be four out of five because the defense badly let him down against the Miami Dolphins. But they're sitting there at three and two. And guess what? You look around today, Baltimore Ravens are first in the AFC North. Just like I said, the would be. I, I didn't. I picked the Bengals to win this game, but I predict the, predicted the Ravens before the season will win the division. The secondary improved drastically from what it had looked like the previous four games. And Lamar Jackson, despite not playing the greatest last night, playing a very good defense, drove him right down the field. So. All I want in the criticism of Lamar Jackson is consistency. That's all, that's all I'm asking for. Because in the games where he plays phenomenal, but they lose, and you crush him for losing, but then he doesn't play all that great, but they win because of him leading a game-winning drive, you rip him because he didn't play well. What do you care about? Do you care about playing well or winning? I'm fine with either. Okay, I'm fine with either. And it, it's it's perfect when it all comes together when when uh you know he plays well and they win, like the the Patriots game or the Jets game in week one. But it doesn't doesn't always work this way. It's the NFL. Okay, this isn't college football where where teams are putting up 50 points a game. Like it's hard to win the NFL. Not that it's not in college, but NFL, everybody's a professional. So that's what I'm saying. You you gotta clean those things up. Um, but yeah. Let's see. 
Barry says, Lamar is a winner. Respect to him. That's it. I mean, again, and that's why I say, and, and Barry, for those of you who don't know, has been, not. let's put it this way. He's, I wouldn't call him a Lamar hater, right? Because there are legit Lamar haters out there. He is, he's more skeptical about Lamar, certainly, than I am. Um, but, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Do you value winning or playing well? Choose one or the other. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, bash you for choosing one or the other. But be consistent. That's that's all I'm saying for people out there that criticize Lamar. And of course, see, see, he had to, he had to get that in, in there. I'll take Lamar over Dak. Villain smile. You know, I've always said though, in the Lamar versus Dak discussion, it's kind of like what I talk about with best player in the world, Giannis and Steph. If you say Giannis is better than Steph, I disagree with you, but I'm not going to fight you on it. Giannis is great. If you want to say Lamar is better than Dak, I'd probably take Dak over Lamar. But I'm I'm not. I mean, I'm not crushy over that. No, I mean, listen, what Lamar's accomplished in this league, he's won an MVP, he, he's been successful in the playoffs, he's he's put up the numbers, he's won the games, I mean, he's a lot of game when he drives, just like last night, which, speaking of which, before I get to the more, more comments here, because I, I do want to get to those, uh, let me pull this up. Okay, so Justin Tucker, and this is part of what makes him, to me, the greatest kicker ever. I get Adam Vinatieri had the two, you know, the F- Patriots' first two Super Bowls, right? Adam Vinatieri hit the game when he field goal both times both against the Rams and then against the Panthers. But in terms of just flat-out automatic consistency, to me, Justin Tucker's the best. Here, And this is, this is remarkable to me. Okay, So after he hit that walk-off field goal last night, Justin Tucker has made 72 straight field goals in the second half and overtime, including an NFL record 59 straight in the fourth quarter and overtime. I mean, listen, you know, that's what we, you know, we we bash kickers all the time. I'm very hard on kickers. You guys know that. I have no sympathy towards kickers. But Justin Tucker, I mean, when when the stress, when the anxiety is at its peak, he's automatic. He's made 60 straight in the fourth quarter in overtime. That's what you need from your kicker. And by the way, that's why the Ravens compensated him pretty darn well this offseason. He's deserving of every penny. Kickers are very valuable, folks. Just ask the Arizona Cardinals. Ooh, that was tough. Grady said, any thoughts on the Tampa-Atlanta call? I'm a little biased because I'm a Brady fan, but give me a break. Atlanta isn't winning that game, even if they do get the ball uh, and and scored again. Uh, Tampa let them back in the game, would have won regardless, even if Brady had to get them into field goal range. Was it a bad bad call, though? Absolutely. But we're getting in the post to a NFL. Uh, What we're getting is the post to a NFL. Here's my thoughts. I was going to say this for later, but since you brought it up, Grady, I'll, I'll, I'll address it. Uh, I was trying to get the clip onto uh, StreamYard, which, which is where I obviously stream to Facebook Live, YouTube, and Twitter. Wasn't able to get it on there, unfortunately, but I'm sure most of you have, have seen the clip by this point. <laughs> I don't think... I don't want to overreact because it's Monday. And I, by the way, I agree with you, Grady. I don't think Atlanta would have won the game even if they had gotten the ball back because that was a third down, by the way. That's got to be the worst roughing the passer call I've ever seen in my life. I'm serious. Because, and I'll, I'll describe it to you the best way I can because I don't have the video. So for those of you that haven't seen it, Grady Jarrett comes in a stunt. He's, he's an interior uh, defensive lineman, but he actually comes around the edge to Brady's left on Brady's blind side. Obviously, Brady sees him, so he's trying to roll out to his right, get out of there. He can't in time. And so Grady Jarrett grabs him and then, you know, spins him down. Doesn't land on Tom Brady. Doesn't. You hit him late. What we what we would know is the typical roughing the passer. No. 
He grabbed him, went down with Tom. There's there's a way to sack Tom because we know, you know, guys, I've always, I always said this all the time, there's no defensive player out there that wants to be the guy that ends Tom Brady's career, okay, because they will go down infamy and they'll have to hear about it for the rest of their lives. So they don't want to be that guy. They, they want to sack Tom, want to take him to the ground. It's, what they make, it's why they're paid, what they're paid to do, but they don't want to hurt Tom. Grady Jarrett was not trying to hurt Tom there. And so, I mean, listen, look, folks, I mean, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure this is, this is what Tom Brady's saying. He's, he's like, man, I really can play till 50. I, I can play, you know, as, as long as I want because, because of calls like this. I mean, listen, if that was Patrick Mahomes, do I think that gets called? No, I don't. That's, that's not a shot at Tom Brady, but man, like that, that is as bad as it gets. But I do agree with you though, Grady. I do not think Atlanta would have won the game. It felt like in that fourth quarter, Atlanta scored those 15 unanswered points. Tampa kind of let their foot off the gas. You know, nothing cheap, nothing deep. They're, they're, they're not playing, you know, they're not giving Atlanta a shot to hit any plays down the field. Not like they would have anyway because they're not a, a, a deep ball throwing team because they have Marcus Mariota at quarterback. But uh, let's let's see. See, there you go. My man John Rivera, he has, he has a very he has a right to be happy today. There you go. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. There you go. Hey, the Jets are Jets got a winning record. Three and two. And by the way, I want to say thank you to the New York Jets because that was my upset of the week. Now, I did not, unfortunately, the upset of the week had to come off of a another concussion to a Dolphins quarterback, in this case being Teddy Bridgewater, who himself has a history with concussions. He had a really scary one back in, I think it was 2015, when he was the quarterback of the Vikings. Had a real scary one against the, at the time, St. Louis Rams. But yeah, hope to hope Teddy heals up quickly. They had uh, I forgot what that kid's name. Skylar Skylar Thompson, I think, is the, is the kid's name that replaced Teddy Bridgewater for the rest of that game. But I listen. Thank you to the Jets. That was my upset of the week, and they they came through for me. Grady says, still think it's an overreaction by the media, though. Talking about um, talking about either talking about Lamar Jackson or talking about the the, the Tampa Bay roughing the passer. Grady says, Tucker is simply the new Adam Vinatieri. Guy is a baller. I do confess I love and miss the days of Billy Cundiff in a Ravens uniform, though. He was really good. Uh, I know, if I'm not mistaken, was Billy Cundiff the kicker? I'm not trying to, like, you know, like be brutal on him. I promise I'm not because, listen, like, this is tough. But if I'm not mistaken, was Billy Cundiff not the guy who missed the field goal at the end of the AFC Championship game against the Patriots that would have tied it and sent it to overtime? Because it was like a 30-yard field goal. Because Flacco, Flacco threw a pass. Joe Flacco threw a pass back in the end zone. That's, you know, it's a touchdown, but the guy like just flat out drops it. There's just no, it's not forced out. It's she just flat out dropped the pass, which it would have won it and sent the Ravens to the Super Bowl that year. They would have faced the Giants in what would have been, you know, the second Patriots Giants Super Bowl. But yeah, no, Billy Cundiff was a good kicker, though. But but uh oh that, <laughs> Grady says that's why I miss him. That's good. Grady says that's why I miss. Oh, that's good. That's good, man. Yeah, see, you set me up there. You set me up there, Grady. Oh, that's funny. But uh, but no, that was that was like one of the most infamous uh, plays of the Patriots uh, dynasty, in my view, at least, because they got to how many AFC Championship games in a row? Like eight. I think it was. I know it might have been nine. Let's see. Eleven. No, it was eight. It was it was eight, eight straight AFC Championship games from the 2011 season to the 2018 season with 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 Tom Brady. But yeah, they uh y- y'all y'all got kind of lucky on that one. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. All due respect to the great Tom Brady, but uh, yeah, I got a little lucky on that one. Moving on to uh, somebody who is 
unemployed today, and that is Matt Rule. He was fired today by the Carolina Panthers after a one and four start to the season, and overall, he he coached the Panthers to a record of eleven and twenty-seven. First of all, it was it was time to move on. Okay, I, I was one who loved the Matt Rule hiring back in twenty twenty. Okay, I I, now I hated that they, that they fired Ron Rivera. I was very vocal about that on the show at the time. But they hired Matt Rule. I'm like, hey, look, listen, like this guy has a history of of rebuilding programs. He went to Temple. He rebuilt Temple. He went to Baylor in a awful situation in Baylor following the Art Briles scandal. And he took Baylor within two, three years to the Big 12 championship game. So I'm like, okay, this guy has a history of building struggling programs, or in this case, a struggling NFL franchise. Like, he has a history of building crap back to relevance. It didn't work. Now, some of that was the fact that he never had a, a, a anything close to a franchise quarterback. Because he had Teddy Bridgewater in 2020, he had Sam Darnold in 2021, and he had Baker Mayfield in 2022. So it's not like he's getting a lot of competence out of that position. I mean, they had, they had their moments, Teddy and, and Sam and, and Baker had their moments, but it wasn't anything close to what you need to even, even be a playoff contender, much less a Super Bowl contender. But here's, here's sort of my thoughts. Matt Rule, first of all, I think he's going to be up for one of the big jobs in college next year. You know, you're talking about a Wisconsin, a maybe a Nebraska out there, you know, two, two former Big Ten powerhouses could go after Matt Rule with his history of w- rebuilding struggling college programs back up. So Matt Rule's going to have a job next year, probably as a head coach in college. He's a very good college head coach. He just didn't, sim- he simply didn't fit the NFL. I, I read some reports about how he would, he, and we see this a lot with college coaches. They tend to struggle in the NFL, most of them for this reason. They, <laughs> They coach pros like they coach college players, and it, it just simply doesn't work. You know, that that, that happened. Uh, Warren Sapp uh, felt that way when when John Gruden was the head coach for the Tampa Bay Bucks two decades ago, and it did not sit well with Warren Sapp. It doesn't sit well with, with any professional. And so I think sort of that, uh, not old school, because Matt Rule is still a fairly young guy, but I think the, the sort of... Uh, the sort of rah-rah type, not that coaches can't be rah-rah, but sort of, uh, again, treating NFL players like they're, like they're college players, it just didn't work. And, you know, he, he had some, some issues at times with, with the media. Um, at, at the end of the day, here's what the Carolina Panthers have to do. We, we know that they're going to a full-out rebuild. They, they traded for Baker Mayfield in hopes that, you know, maybe he could do – Baker's awful. Now, Baker's going to be out for a few weeks. He, he's, he's got an ankle injury, so we're – we're thinking, I think, two to three weeks w- with him, whether he can come back. So for the time being, P.J. Walker is the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. But they're going to, heck, they very well could trade Baker to be somebody's backup. I don't think that'll be the case, but I'm not ruling it out. They need to move Christian McCaffrey. They've been in trade talks with with teams for years. They you know, they were in the Deshaun Watson uh, uh, sweepstakes last offseason, and the Houston Texans wanted Christian McCaffrey in a deal, and you know it just wasn't able to, to come through. But... Christian McCaffrey, they need to go in and 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 move him, get some picks, maybe get some players for him. DJ Moore, I suggested, hey, Dallas Cowboys, go get DJ Moore. Green Bay Packers could be, you know, listen, DJ Moore would absolutely be the best receiver to me on the Green Bay Packers. I'd absolutely take him over Alan Lazard. So Packers, go get a deal done with uh, the Panthers for, for DJ Moore. Uh, Brian Burns as well. You know, you know, there, there's some teams that could use him. So, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of guys that could really, really help some teams that are trying to contend for a Super Bowl. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. While also helping the Panthers in their rebuild. Okay, they need picks. I don't think they have a third, fifth, or seventh round pick, if I'm not mistaken, next draft. So they need all the picks they can get. They need all the pieces that they can pull into that franchise in order to rebuild it. You never forget this. This was a this was a team that made two Super Bowls in about a 12, 13 year span. So that this was Carolina, you know, they were one of the expansion teams in the 90s along with the Jaguars. They've always been a respected franchise. And so going through this rough patch right now, I think moving Matt Rule, going and doing it early in season is the right thing to do. I think Steve Wilkes is going to be interim head coach. We know he was the head coach of the Cardinals back in 2018. So, again, we'll, we'll see how that works. Carolina, an argument today could be made that Carolina is probably the worst team in the NFL. So they, they have a ways to go. This is, this is a team that's got some work to do. But if you, can, if you can move some of those guys, get some picks, and just fully commit to this rebuild. We know David Tepper is a very aggressive owner. You know, he, he's, he has, he's got, you know, little patience. But again, as I've talked about the Bill Parcells rule with quarterbacks, but I think it also applies to head coaches, is that year one, you just kind of want to see some progress going through the growing pains of being a head coach. If year two, you really you want to start seeing something, you want to start seeing some kind of a significant jump from year one. And if by year three, you still haven't gotten to where I think you need to go, go ahead and, and move him. I mean, look at Brian Dable with the Giants. Right off the bat, they're four and one. The New York Giants, they won four games last year. They've won four games already this year. Like a, a lot of times a, a coach just comes in and it is immediate. Okay, the Los Angeles Rams were garbage in 2016. I think they went four and 12. Jared, Jared Goff looks like he shouldn't even be in the league. Sean McVay gets hired. They win the division, go to the playoffs. The next year, they get to the Super Bowl. Few years after that, they win the Super Bowl. So a lot of these truly great coaches, it it's pretty quick. You, you notice pretty quick. Okay, like all right, we we got the guy. We got the guy that can take us to where he, we think we need to go as a franchise. But it was it was it was the right move to make. Grady Edwards, who again, as he detailed earlier, he said he's Patriots one A, he's Panthers one B because he's from Charlotte. Uh, he's a Panthers fan, so he says Byron Leftwich is my first choice for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, guys I want them to pursue. We're not getting Sean Payton and Dan Quinn as a decent slash okay head coach, but I don't think I want a recycled name. Unless we bring back Ron Rivera because he might want be he might be in the hot seat in Washington, though I don't think it's warranted. Um his 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 staff was really terrible. Yeah. Although although I will say though at the end for Rivera, I think Sean McDermott, the year the Panthers went 15 and 1 and, and lost of a Super Bowl to Denver. I think Sean McDermott was the defensive coordinator, and we see the job that he's done in Buffalo. But yeah, I mean that's fair though. Overall, it, it, his his staffs weren't his staffs weren't that of Andy Reid. Let's put it that way. But back to your, I, I like that Byron Leftwich. You know, the job he's done in Tampa as the offensive coordinator, giving him a shot. He's he's a young offensive mind. You're probably going to draft a quarterback. I mean, listen, there is no better time for the Panthers to go into rebuild. Like, don't drag this out. See, maybe Matt Rule turns around. No, just go into the full rebuild. You're gonna have a chance at CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis. Hey, you know, let's let's start talking about my man Hendon Hooker, Hendo Cinco at the University of Tennessee. 
Hendo for Heisman? I'm just saying. The, let's put that aside. The Panthers are going to have an opportunity to draft one of these young quarterbacks. And so bringing in, by the way, Byron Leftwich, a former quarterback, an offensive coach. Bring him in, have that good relationship with your young guy, be able to develop him, be able to get some of those picks that you get from you know dra- from trading some of these guys. Carolina could be could be right back to to where you know we, we expect them to be in just a few years. John John says, "I hope McCaffrey gets traded to Buffalo." I read today that the Bills are in discussions to get McCaffrey. Which good night if they get him, man. That's and that's part of it. They could use him too because the Bills have, have kind of struggled at times with running the football and developing a consistent run game. If Christian McCaffrey can knock on wood, man, he's struggled. His biggest issue has been injuries. If he stays healthy, mm, man, that'd be a that would be something if the Bills pick him up. And John just said Bills are all in. They should go just go for a full rebuild. Absolutely. Absolutely. It'd be, it'd be a win for both sides. Grady, my Panthers need to get a tight end. Haven't had one since Greg Olson. Yeah. Oh, Grady said, uh, sorry, Mitt Rule's staff is very terrible. Not Rivera. He had a solid staff. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, the, the, the Matt Rule staffs were were not good. Yeah, Greg, Greg Olson, man. And Greg Olson, by the way, is a very good broadcaster, by the way. He's done a good job. He was hired full-time last year, done a great job with the number one Fox team this year with Kevin Burkhart. Like, I really like Greg Olson as, as an announcer. But, yeah, he was, until injuries got him at the end in Carolina, he was solid, man. I mean, consistent. Pro Bowl level player. He was kind of the security blanket for Cam Newton. Was a big, big time leader for that team. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you could, if you could bring in a guy who's even, even slightly resembles what Greg Olson brought on and off the field in the locker room, that yeah, that'd be that in itself would be huge. The Panthers rebuild, rebuild. It's something else for rebuilds too. And I heard, I know, I know he's not the most popular of people right now, Draymond Green, but but he said something. On his podcast, it's obviously talking about the NBA, but I think it also applies to the NFL and any sport. When you have veterans, the reason that a lot of these rebuilds end up not working, you don't have any seasoned vets to come in and, and, and teach the young kids. And Carolina is one of the youngest teams in the NFL. So, and they're obviously they're going to get even younger now that they, when they make some of these deals, make some of these trades, we, we assume. But bring in veterans bringing guys that can, along with the coaches, because sometimes, I know Bruce Arians talked about this before, sometimes if the coach tells a player something, it's in one ear out the other. But when that same thing is repeated by one of his older teammates that you know has, has some real cachet in the locker room, like it sticks more. So if I'm the Panthers in free agency, you know, grab some veterans that fit what you're trying to do, what you're trying to build, along with some of the young guys that you bring in. Because that's to me, that, that's the way to do the rebuild. But of course, it all starts with hiring a new head coach, uh, again, left, which is, is, I think is would be a tremendous choice and drafting one of these young quarterbacks without a question. Uh, who knows? The Panthers could have the number one pick. They could. I thought Atlanta would be worse than them. Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta's got some playmakers. Drake London's all right. Okay, Kyle Pitts. We know what he can do. And Marcus Mariota's done a, a, a good enough job. Uh, but before we move to prediction time, not just NFL predictions, but baseball predictions. I'm going to predict the MLB Division Series, American League and National League. There's some very, very intriguing matchups, and I got a big upset in there, but I'll uh, I'll save that for a second. But, you know, oh, let's see. We got a comment here. Uh, Grace said, what happened to Baker? He might be finished. If Baker Mayfield does not take a backup job next year, he out the league. He done. 
because if and this is kind of what we saw with Cam Newton. Although at least Cam Newton won an MVP at some point. At least Cam Newton had some pretty good years in there. Baker's had one decent year. He had a solid rookie year, played aight in 2020, but was bad in 2019. Was bad last year. If you want to give him the injury excuse, okay, but is he injured now? Well, he's, yeah, he is injured now. But before the ankle injury, how was Baker looking? I mean, great. I know Grady's Grady is a lot higher than Baker uh, than I am, but man, he's. I think he's still. I think he's still last in the NFL in QBR. Like, geez, and of course, John John. Let's go Yankees. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure uh, most of the fans uh, in, in New York City are, are pretty happy today that obviously the Yankees are about to start their series with the Cleveland Guardians, and the New York Mets season is over, despite winning 101 games. My, my heart, listen, I'm a Red Sox fan, and so I always consider the Mets an ally because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And both the Red Sox, and obviously the Red Sox have a much more extensive history with the Yankees. They have much more what you would call a traditional rivalry because both teams have gotten the better of one another, whereas with the Yankees and Mets, it's mostly been, it's been pretty one-sided with the Yankees. But listen, Red Sox and Mets, we, we, we cool with each other. We put 86 behind us. us. Red Sox fans, you know, especially since we broke the curse in 04, ever since then, we've been able to, to move past that. Oh, wow. Okay. This is a big statement by Grady. He says, I'm out on, I'm, I'm out on Baker after yesterday, probably closer in your camp now. And he says, uh, after the Arizona and 49ers games. Yeah, no, gosh, he was, he was awful. And to me, yesterday against San Francisco is predictable. Okay. Baker is a mistake prone quarterback going against that defense. Okay. It was, it was bound to happen. It was bound to happen. And then against Arizona, gosh, it was, it was just awful. That Arizona might've been worse just because Arizona does not have a very good defense. They've improved over the last few weeks, but I, I don't I don't look at them as even close to the, the level of a Niners defense, and Baker was still bad, which tells me he's he's a backup quarterback. If he wants to stay in the NFL, I think he probably does. It's just a wild guess of mine. He he may have to accept uh accept this backup quarterback role. But I, I think something that's that's interesting though about about Carolina too is Matt Rule comes in as an offensive coach. And the offense is garbage. Like when, when you bring in a coach and his specialty is, is one side of the ball, you want him to fix that, especially if you got issues offensively. Panthers offense was garbage. Okay. Some of that was the McCaffrey injuries, but geez, like it, it didn't improve at all. I mean, but th- think about the Giants. Brian Dable is an offensive coach. Daniel Jones is a limited quarterback. Giants offense is still pretty good. Like so some of this just comes down comes down to coaching, but again, we'll see we'll we'll see where the Panthers go from here. All right, so we are now officially we're down to eight. Twenty two uh, teams, twenty two Major League Baseball teams who had any hopes whatsoever. Some of them obviously unrealistic because teams like say the A's and the Reds were in a complete rebuild. But twenty two teams who had any hopes of competing for that Commissioner's Trophy, competing for a World Series title in twenty twenty two, it's over. They're done. It's down to eight. It's down day. Four in the American League, four in the National League. So I went two and two in my picks last week. I I predicted correctly, ironically, in the American League, the, the Guardians would beat the uh the, the Rays, and that the uh, who was yeah, the Mariners would beat the, the Blue Jays. I did by the way, f- sorry to delay, but that that comeback by Seattle on Tam- or uh, Toronto in that game too, holy smokes. Down eight one in the sixth. I mean, it wasn't like Toronto just hit him with an onslaught the first couple innings, and then the Mariners slowly started to claw their way back. No, no, no. No, the Mariners are down 8-1, and they end up winning the game 10-9. It's crazy. It's 
crazy. I'm, I'm telling y'all, the Mariners, to me, are the second-best team in the American League. I've been saying that for two months. Ever since the All-Star break, they are the second-best team to me to the Houston Astros in the American League. And by the way, they face each other, which I will predict in just a second. But And then the National League, I went 0 for 2. I'm, I was kicking myself because I almost pre- I swear to you, I almost predicted the Phillies to beat the Cardinals. I said that last week, um, and they ended up sweeping them, which, you know, hats off. Hats off to Yadier Molina and to Albert Pujols in a great career. I was happy for them, despite the loss that they were able to get a hit um, before their before their careers came to an end. Both absolutely will be enshrined in Cooperstown five years from now, uh, without a question. But we got eight teams left. Let's get it on. We're going to start in where we start in the American League. Okay, we're starting the American League with what to me is the unofficial de facto. American League Championship Series, even though it's coming in the division series between two division rivals, two AL West teams. It's the Seattle Mariners. It's the Houston Astros. And when I look at this series, what each team's do, it's, it's a very fascinating matchup. It's very similar to just like uh, I call it, you know, like, like the NBA Finals a little bit. Like what Boston did, Golden State did well, and what other, one team did, the other team better did better. That's what it feels like. Both teams have tremendous pitching staffs. Okay, we know about Justin Verlander, and I said coming in this year, Justin Verlander's going to have a big year. Coming off that injury, coming uh, despite being 39 years old, it's part of the reason I had the Astros getting to the World Series before the season began. Verlander's been unbelievable. Okay, the entire, uh, uh, you know, Framer Valdez, all those guys to the Astros have been excellent. And we know about the bats. We know about Altuve. We know about Bregman. We know about Jordan Alvarez, who's been I mean, like almost like the second coming. This sounds sacrilegious for me to say, but almost like the second coming of Big Poppy. Okay, he's been great. And so, you know, guys like Kyle Tucker. That's the thing that is so fascinating about the Houston Astros is I feel like they are without question the biggest threat to, to me, the favorites, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Deep pitching staff, outstanding bullpen, and the lineup one through nine is unbelievable. And so you have Seattle coming in who got off to a rough start at the beginning of the season, won 15 straight or whatever it was coming into the All-Star break, made the deal to bring in some pitching. Uh, you know, we know Julio Rodriguez, J-Rod, you know, Toronto wouldn't even pitch to him during the series. Okay, you know, he got his money this season. He's got a 14-year deal, so, so props to him. But when you're talking about a Seattle Mariners team that it has a little Cinderella feel to it, right? You've got the manager, who's been excellent. You've got all these components to this team that's gotten them to this point, that won them 90 games, that won them that series over the Toronto Blue Jays. They're going to need every bit of that in this series, obviously starting with home field disadvantage against their division rival Astros. So, thing is, if you're down 8-1 to Houston, you're not winning that game. Okay, Toronto's bullpen is, is not very good. They fell apart late. I guess that shouldn't be a huge surprise. Astros bullpen is a whole different ballgame. Trust me. Ask, ask my Red Sox last year. Ask my Red Sox last year. They struggled badly late in innings in the ALCS against Houston. I think this goes to deciding game five. I really do. And in that game five, I think when it's all said and done, the Dusty Beck Baker is able to push all the right buttons, do what he needs to do, give me the Houston Astros to win this series. Obviously, for those of you who don't know, Division Series is the best of five. I think the Astros win it in five, 3-2 over the Seattle Mariners. They advance to the ALCS for now the sixth consecutive year. Yeah, sixth consecutive year. They've been in the ALCS every year since 2017. We know about the cheating scandal. We know about their issues. But (laughs) you can't say nothing about the Houston Astros in terms of 
They've been dominant with or without the trash cans. It is what it is. Astros advance the ALCS once again. Who will they meet? Cleveland or New York? Guardians, Yankees. Okay, so the Yankees in this series coming off a 99-win season. Number 99, Aaron Judge, obviously with the historic accomplishment, hitting 62 home runs. The Yankee record, and more importantly, the American League record uh, all-time. Aaron Judge is going to get the bag in the offseason. Brian Cashman said as much. He said he's got a pot of gold awaiting him at the end of the season. There's no question he is deserving of every penny. But here's the thing for the New York Yankees that I've worried about for years now, and they really haven't addressed it that much. The Yankees are an organization that leans heavily, a lot like the Tampa Bay Rays, one of their division rivals. They lean heavily into analytics. And to me, analytics have their place. You should use analytics. I've always said that. But when they are making the decisions for you, that's when it starts to get in the way. And in terms of how the Yankees have put together their roster, in terms of their lineup, it's kind of been Aaron Judge or bust. And a lot of times when it's been just Aaron Judge or bust, it's been bust, okay? When they went 10-18 and 18 in the month of August, almost blew the division lead to Toronto and to Tampa, Aaron Judge hit nine homers that month. Like, he was great. Aaron Judge was, was Aaron Judge that month. It didn't matter. The pitching isn't very good. Okay, Garrett Cole, we know his history in the postseason. He's he's a Cy Young caliber starting pitcher in the regular season. In the postseason, again, last year against my Red Sox, different story. I mean, he was pulled in, I think, like the second or third inning, and the Yankees had to ride their bullpen. Aroldis Chapman, look, I don't know what he's doing. I, I don't know what got into this dude's head to where he missed a workout because he was in Miami. Aroldis Chapman will not be available for this series. He is not on the playoff roster for this division series against Cleveland. The thing about the Guardians is this. They're not going to beat you with the long ball. They are kind of the opposite of the Yankees. They are not going to beat you with the home run ball. But in some ways, they are very, very similar to the Kansas City Royals. Kansas City Royals, who in 2014 made the World Series and in 2015 won the World Series. Relying heavily on pitching, which is what you got to do in the postseason, Guys who come up with big, timely hits, which, of course, we saw 15-inning, you know, snooze fest, if, if we can call it that, in the postseason against the Tampa Bay Rays on, on Saturday afternoon in Cleveland. So they're going to rely on, on their lineup, which has been excellent. Okay, hitting for average. They're not going to beat you with the long ball, but getting on base, smart base running, and the starting pitching led by, of course, Shane Bieber, who's once again in the American League Cy Young race. And what it comes down to as well in the postseason. We know you got to have the pitching and the hitting. It comes down to the managers. And if we're talking my man, two-time champion with my Red Sox, Terry Francona or Aaron Boone. I'm going Cleveland. I'm going for it. Guardians upset the Yankees 3-2. Now, of course, this will not be any heartbreak to me. I mean, I'm not gonna be. I'm not being, you know on this show crying when the Yankees lose. But I'm taking the Cleveland Guardians to upset, shock the world, upset the New York Yankees. They closed the season better than the Yankees did. They're coming in with more momentum. They've got a better manager. They've got a better rotation. They got guys that get on base more consistently than the Yankees do. And it feels like the Yankees, because of their, you know, their late season struggles have been like a on the back page of the New York Times. Why? Because of Aaron Judge's historic season, his, the historic 62 homers. 
So because of that, because of the fact that Cleveland's been under the radar all season, closed August and September, which is where the games really matter, folks, before you get in October, closed the season excellent, did, did you know, took care of business against the, the Twins and the White Sox in their division to hold them off to win the American League Central. Give me the Cleveland Guardians, the shocker of the world, to beat the New York Yankees, to upset the New York Yankees in five games in advance to the American League Championship Series. Moving on, on to the National League, we got another divisional matchup. Actually, we got two divisional matchups uh, in uh, in the National League in this division series. Philadelphia Phillies in the playoffs, first time since 2011, taking on the reigning, defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves. Now we know about Atlanta. It's, it's, it feels like a wash, rinse, and repeat in 2021. They got up to a rough start last year. They weren't over 500 until August. Of course, we know they ended up winning the World Series over the Houston Astros. This year, they got off to a similar start, uh, although they sort of peaked around July, August, and especially in September, sweeping the Mets over that weekend, over the last weekend of the regular season, to win the American League. I'm sorry, to win the National League East over the Mets and over the Philadelphia Phillies, who they'll, of course, be playing. We know about the Braves. Dansby Swanson has had an excellent year. Okay, all their big bats have been great. Um, they've showed that sort, sort of championship DNA all season long. Brian Sticker's done a great job. And then as for the Philadelphia Phillies, right, they come in. Uh, Aaron Nola, no shock to anybody, was phenomenal in that game to win, that game to shutout win over the St. Louis Cardinals. Bryce Harper with timely hits. Okay, my man Kyle Schwarber coming up big. So you have the bats. You have guys uh, like Segura who had that big hit at the end of game one. Philly, one through nine, has one of the better lineups in the postseason. They're going to need it desperately against an Atlanta Braves team whose strength is obviously in their rotation. I think when it's all said and done, I'm going to take the Atlanta Braves to win the series. I thought about a sweep, but I'll take them to beat the Phillies, who I should have predicted to beat the Cardinals. Otherwise, I would have went three and one in my picks. But I think the series will be over in four games. Braves advance over their division rival Phillies, and they get back to the National League Championship Series for the third consecutive year. And they will meet the winner of the San Diego Padres and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, what do we know about the Padres? Again, once again, we keep we keep repeating this phrase, but it's so, so important in the postseason, and that's pitching. Okay, you Darvish in that game one win over the New York Mets set the tone. Max Scherzer had a bad, bad night, giving up four homers. The guys like Josh Bell, uh, you know, Machado played well. Um, uh, shoot, I'm forgetting that other guy's name. The leadoff man for the, for the Padres, his, his name escapes me at this particular moment in time. But a Padres lineup that's missing Fernando Tatis. But adding Juan Soto at the deadline, relying even from the beginning of the season because of the loss of Tatis due to suspension and injury, relying on pitching. Because they come into that series, shock the Mets, win two out of three in Queens, New York, at City Field to advance to play for the second straight series, a 100-win team. Playing, to me, without a shadow of a doubt, the best team in Major League Baseball. How many teams, folks, how many teams could go out there despite the loaded roster they have, lose their number two starter, really the number one starter, who's a Cy Young candidate, and win 111 games. You think about that. They were threatening for a while there to possibly reach uh, Seattle's record. I think 118, if I'm not mistaken, is the record uh, that the the uh, 01 Mariners, who didn't even get to the championship series, and the two, uh, the 1906 uh, Chicago Cubs uh, was able to. It was, it was 1906. It was the Cubs in the earliest 20th century. 
Dodgers were threatening that for a while. We know what my man Mookie Betts does. It still breaks my heart into a million pieces that he is not still wearing a Red Sox uniform. Uh, but the, the addition of Freddie Freeman, who is in till the last day of the regular season, he was in the running for the batting title. He has been a, an exceptional, exceptional addition to this Dodgers roster, to this Dodgers lineup that's been excellent all, all season long. So due to Clayton Kershaw, I know people bashed him for his record the postseason. It's, it's, it's not great. But 2020, he got over the hump. He didn't pitch last year due to injury. So coming back in the postseason, he's hungry. He's ready to go. You have guys like Tony Gonsolin, who was excellent. He's up there and wins in Major League Baseball and in the National League. Julio Urias had a great ERA as well. So bringing those guys in, your two and three starters are going to be key in this series against a great Padres pitching staff. But something else, too. I know the Padres. I know Padre is is Spanish for uh, a father. Um. No team in Major League Baseball, I think, certainly among good teams, has been the quote-unquote Padre of the Padres other than the Dodgers. Dodgers have owned the Padres. I think that's going to continue. They will sweep this series 3-0, the only sweep, I think, of the division series. They sweep the Padres, their division rival, to once again advance to the National League Championship Series, and they will meet the Braves for the third consecutive year. They met in 2020. Of course, the Braves blew that 3-1 lead. Dodgers went on to win the World Series for the first time since 88. And then last year, the Braves got revenge, beating the Dodgers in six games to advance to and, of course, win the World Series. So there you go. So it's going back over it. I got Astros in five against best of five. Astros in five over, over the Mariners. The upset, Guardians over the Yankees in five. Braves over the Phillies in four. And Dodgers over the Padres in three. Hope y'all liked my Padre joke there. Grady Edwards, go Braves. Hope they uh, they can get her done this season. Feeling good about them. How far did they go? Also, do you think the Braves' name is safe as far as potential name changes? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think the name is is probably safe from potential changes. Um, how far do I think they can go? They can go all the way. Man, again, managing, they're starting pitching, and their bats all season long. Now, I, I watched a couple of their series very closely against St. Louis, and then against obviously the Mets. That this a couple weeks weekends ago, and how they swept the Mets Mets to uh, to win the National League East. The timely hits, especially by Dansby Swanson, who's who's like my dad's favorite player currently in the whole world. He's kind of a throwback type of guy. He can hit for power, but he can also get on base consistently. Has it's been unbelievable. I mean, Dansby Swanson clutch clutch situations has been remarkable. So. Talk about the guys that they got in in that lineup. Uh, they've been excellent. Again, obviously we know about guys like. Um, uh, like Acuna and company, but you know this this Braves team has has an excellent opportunity to go back to back. And how long has it been? I think we haven't had a back to back champion since the Yankees in the late '90s, which means we haven't had a back to back World Series champions in the in the 21st century. So if the Braves do it, hey, good for the Braves, good for the Braves because they they put together a heck of a run here, winning five straight division titles and now being in position to to win a second straight World Series title. And of course, Grady says, wish they still had Freddie still. Yeah, that's you know he was he was the leader of that clubhouse for a long time, man, and he's doing he's doing great things with the Dodgers. Uh, got his money over there. I, I really did think last offseason that he would stay in Atlanta. I I really truly did. But props to him. He's a great great dude. It like it it made me emotional. I'm not even a Braves fan, but it made me emotional when I, was it in May? I think it was either May or June when Freddie Freeman returned to Atlanta at Truist Park and that every at bad, you know, he, he tipped his, tipped his cap to the, to the, to the fans and they were all giving a standing ovation. Like it was a really, really cool moment. Uh, Freddie's a great, great human being, a great role model. And uh, obviously a great baseball player who has a very, very good opportunity to himself 
uh, being trained in Cooperstown one day, and he he himself will have a chance to win back to back championships. But it, it it's funny, like the Braves and Dodgers that that series has decided the World Series champion did in twenty twenty, and it did in twenty twenty one. So who knows? Maybe it could this year. I think they'll meet in the in the NLCS once again, and that'll that'll be interesting. If, if both teams stay healthy, that feels like a six or seven gamer, without a doubt. Now I'm not done with predictions. Not ready to get out of here quite yet. Um, shifting back to the NFL, we've we got a big one tonight. Okay, we got a divisional matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Las Vegas Raiders. Obviously, two teams. I would say two teams. If I feel like one one team had high expectations coming into this year, that being, of course, the the Raiders coming off of a playoff appearance last year with an interim coach. They bring in Josh McDaniels. They bring in Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones. And they're off to a slow start. They're one and three. And they started 0 and three. They got over uh, a win over over Mr. Let's Ride last week. But, you know, for, for, for the Raiders, I think they would be the seventh 0-3 team in history to make the playoffs, which seems like a long shot, and it is. And I'm not a big fan of Mike, uh, not Mike McDaniel, although I'm not a fan of his either, Josh McDaniels. But you know what I believe in? I believe in Derek Carr, and I believe in Devontae Adams. But let's go into the predictions right now. Monday Night Football. We got Chiefs, we got Raiders. Chiefs in this game are favored by seven, so basically a full touchdown uh, over their division rival. Here's to me what I'm looking at, okay, for Kansas City. They're coming in, big-time momentum win on the road, Super Bowl rematch against Tampa Bay. They pull it out at the end at 41, was it 40, I think 42-31 was the final score. Uh, Kansas City was, was just, you know, fantastic. Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes things. They ran the ball very effectively, and that's kind of what I'm going to focus on is their ability to run the ball. Vegas' defense has not been great stopping the run. I think Kansas City's going to attack that early. Bait the Raiders' defense into sort of loading the box a little bit. And then they're going to do damage. Kansas City this year, because of loss of Tyree Kill in the offseason, they're not going... They haven't had those type of over-the-top plays, which, you know, isn't, isn't that surprising to us, right? Because they have guys like Miko Hardman, we know has got wheels in, Valdez Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, Sky Moore... But most, I mean, certainly those guys aren't even the same galaxy as Tyree Kill in terms of over-the-top ability. And we know, obviously, about the, the best security blanket in the National Football League, that being Travis Kelsey. That offensive line has been up and down. It's dealt with some injuries. But against a Raiders secondary, that for the second straight year, and it's why I, I never bought into the Raiders as Super Bowl contenders. Playoff contenders, yes, not Super Bowl contenders. That secondary, folks, is awful. And Patrick Mahomes is, is, has exposed it as such because in eight games against the Las Vegas Raiders, Patrick Mahomes has a passer rating of 112. He's thrown for 2,500 yards, 22 touchdowns, and only three picks. And he's got a 7-1 record, by the way. Translation, he owns the Las Vegas Raiders. It don't matter if they're still in Oakland, if they move to, the, to Sin City, it don't matter. And so at Arrowhead Stadium, Chiefs are riding high. They feel good about themselves. And also, they want to make sure people know who they are before next week's matchup, the, the game of the year between the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. I cannot imagine what the ratings for that game are going to be after how that, that game ended last year. So Kansas City, they, they don't want to win. They don't like the Raiders. They don't like the Raiders. The Raiders, remember last year at Arrowhead, they were talking smack at pregame, and they were like dancing on the Chiefs midfield logo. Yeah, and then 49-3 to happened. 
So this is a team that there's some teams, just like I was talking about with the Dodgers, the Padres, there's some division teams that just have the other team's number. And that's, I think, is going to continue tonight. I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs to win 38-17. to 17. They will cover that seven-point seven point spread in style. They'll drop the Raiders to 1-3. and three. They themselves will elevate to 4-1 and one before that big matchup. That, man, I can't wait. That we're all going to be watching against the equally 4-1 Buffalo Bills. Kansas City wins this one tonight, 38-17, to and goes to 4-1. and They win over the Las Vegas Raiders. Patrick Mahomes, I'm going to say he has... I'm going to say he has three touchdowns. I think, they, I think they rush for two. Again, I think they're going to, to get started with the running game, really lean on that with Edwards-Alaire, but... You know, get the Vegas defense to kind of, you know, to, to come in a little bit, and then they're going to hit him over the top with, with guys like Hardman, Juju, obviously Travis Kelsey and, and company. Let's see. We got some comments here. Grady says, got Devontae Jacobs, Travis Kelsey playing tonight. Josh McDaniels better not mess it up tonight for me. Uh, Carr is Tony Romo 2.0. He can be elite, but he can be awful. He's such a frustrating player. That being said, give him any day as my quarterback when starting a franchise. 100%. That, that's a good comparison to Tony Romo. He's he's more durable than Tony was, certainly at the end. But, yeah, but listen, Tony, of those moments, to me, the ultimate, if you had to ask me, what was Tony Romo? And I'd say 2013, week five against the Denver Broncos. went. Blow for blow with the great Peyton Manning. Threw five touchdown passes. Threw for 500 yards. But threw the interception at the end that cost the Cowboys and the Broncos ended up winning it with the walk-off field goal. Like, And that's that's the thing. I, I, I was never a big Tony Romo fan in terms of can he win the big games? Can he? He was clutch. That's the thing for Tony. Like, In terms of game when he drives, Tony Romo's linking like top 10 all time. So if you kind of like what I was talking about with Lamar earlier, if you give Tony Romo the ball, a chance to win the game, you know, more times than not, more than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL, he usually came through for you. But and I always felt like Tony Tony Romo was a guy that was capable when the right pieces were around him, like say in 2014, of winning the Super Bowl. But you know, unfortunately for him, he was he was never able to to hoist that Lombardi Trophy. But and Derek Carr, yeah, yeah that's a good comparison. He, he feels like uh, he feels like a similar type guy. Grady, Mahomes versus Josh Allen. Seems like we've seen this before. Brady versus Peyton Manning. Yep. And it's funny. I actually talked about that after that the game of the year last year. I think we'd all agree on that. The game of the decade. The, the Bills game uh, versus the, the Chiefs in the divisional round. And I said the next day, I said, this is the new Brady Manning. Okay, these guys going to meet in the playoffs basically every year. You know, the last couple of years has been an arrowhead. Patrick Mahomes still, five years into his career, has yet to play a road playoff game which speaks to his his dominance along with the likes of Andy Reid and company. But yeah, this these two guys are going to be meeting the playoffs for a while. It's it's going to be a situation where the winner of that game wins the Super Bowl. Now, it hasn't been the case the last two years, but make no mistake about it. As time goes on, a decade from now, we're going to be looking at some of these matchups, whether it be in Buffalo or in Kansas City, and be like, yep, okay, winner of that game ended up winning the Super Bowl. It's kind of like, in terms of team rivalries, it's kind of like how the Cowboys and the 49ers were in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Like the winner of that game won the Super Bowl, a lot of times in the NFC Championship game. Uh, and obviously, again, Brady versus Manning when Peyton was in Indianapolis and then in Denver. I think Peyton actually, Brady finished with the better playoff record. Um, was it better playoff record? No, I think it was Brady fin finished with the better overall record over Peyton, but Peyton either had a better AFC Championship game record or playoff record. I can't remember what it was, but no, they they certainly had their battles as well. Uh, 
to me, two of the three greatest quarterbacks ever. Obviously, Brady's the GOAT. We know that. But to me, Peyton's number three. I'm a huge Peyton Manning fan. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by, as always. Be sure to catch Carving It Up Live on a Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. Also, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe to the Carving It Up YouTube channel. We greatly appreciate it. It takes you two seconds. Just hit that subscribe button. Boom, done. That's how long it took you. All right, it's quick. And also subscribe to the Grid Network. I'm wearing the Grid hat today. Okay, subscribe to the Grid Network on YouTube and listen to my show, the podcast uh, episodes on Apple, Spotify, etc. cetera, uh, on the Grid Network podcast uh, uh, podcasting platforms. Go check out over there. Subscribe to, the, 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 uh, to Apple and Spotify to listen to Carving Up Live as well as my other teammates on the Grid, guys like uh, Barry and Alfred and, and Patrick Brown and, and Ryan Flowers. So check those guys out as well. We got more coming from you from the grid. Also, Carving Up Merch. It's available now. Go to my Instagram. I've got the link there. It's in, uh, I've got uh, my, my story saved. So, so click the link, Carving Up Merch. Man, we got hats, T-shirts, uh, hoodies. We've even got stuffed teddy bears. I mean, who doesn't love a stuffed teddy bear? And you got the Carving Up logo on it. Represent the show, support the show. We greatly appreciate everybody uh, doing what they've been doing uh, in that regard. So have a great week, everybody. Continue to stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. And night-night. See y'all. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.